We can go ahead and dismiss our kids as they go back. Pastor Justin is teaching them. We've got Pastor Fred changing diapers tonight and Pastor Justin leading our Kid Life workshops, so they're going to have a great time. It is truly my honor to be able to be here and open God's Word with our church family on Mother's Day because mothers are awesome, yeah? We're awesome, okay. But before I do get to anything of substance, it was brought to my attention at a casual gathering this past Sunday that one of our young people in our church, Jordan Kimball, he innocently and naively said, as we were having a meaningful conversation about snacking, what is con queso? And that really alarmed Fred and I, because for, in our family, it's a food group. And so I wanted to, in the spirit of mothering, let Jordan know that it is a highly processed, food color saturated cheese product upon which you can dip anything, anything, your whole hand, and it's fabulous. Now what Fred and I like to do is we then combine it with, let's see, they're veggie straws. They sound healthy, don't they? They're certified kosher, no fat, vegan, no artificial colors. So they kind of cancel each other out. And so I just wanted to make sure that as we say, follow me as I follow Christ to our young people, amen, that we do that with snacking as well. Fred was upset. He said, we've got to right this wrong, Vanessa. Jordan doesn't know what con queso is. Buy the biggest bag of con queso or the biggest bottle we can find and the biggest thing of veggie straws because then it's really like eating air. It's neutral, so it's good. <laughs> so, well, happy Mother's Day to you. We are, I'm excited to be able to just be here as we honor and celebrate our moms. How many made a peanut butter jelly sandwich timed out there? Did you have fun with that? I know, it's all about presentation, but I had a heads up on that, so. Mm. So, one of the amazing things about being a mom is all of the things that we do that go unnoticed, yes? All of the thankless tasks that make up our days, our weeks, and just the things that we attend to. I'm always surprised when I've been gone, if I leave a list, or, or they know, my kids, they know the things I do, the big things, but when I come home, how many have lots of little things that went unattended, that you just, they're a little bit thankless. I'll never forget, um, wait, sorry, can I move this stool, because it's really bothering me, thank you. Because I can't sit, I have too much energy, I have to walk and talk. Um, I'll never forget when our kids were little, we had three kids in four years, so I don't remember a whole lot during that time. Um, a little sleep deprived. But we, I remember having a conversation where Fred was getting a little bit frustrated with me. I know, gasp. Yeah, I have the microphone tonight, so you're gonna hear stories, I'm just saying. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But he was, he was just getting a little bit frustrated because I couldn't recall a conversation that had clearly been meaningful to him only like 48 hours before. And I just remember him being like, maybe I can't remember, you know, I can't believe you can't remember when we talked about it. And I just remember looking at him and saying, do you have any idea what size shoes any of our children wear? Do you have any idea what stage baby food Claire is currently eating and what fruits and vegetables we've consistently introduced for three days followed by two weeks to know that she can live allergy-free from them? And do you know how many diapers and wipes upon which our life currently subsists are on the property? Because I have a lot of meaningful information in my head, but not what you value. And so, you know, one of those mom moments, right? Like my brain is full of details that someone has to care about. But I know our conversation was probably more meaningful. So in the spirit of participation, moms, I want to ask you tonight, what are some of the things that you do, significant or insignificant? that tend to go unnoticed. Anybody, raise your hand, moms. Something you just, no one knows, maybe you just 
do it and Jessica. Yes, organizing the kids' clothes, yes? How about changing them out seasonally? Nightmare with three-year-olds, so you have to try them on and try to motivate them, yes, milkshakes work. What else? Someone else, Lisa. Balancing the checkbook, thankless. It, as soon as you balance it, it's unbalanced, right? As soon as you do another transaction, it's so thankless. Sharon. Oh, because you're the laundry girl. Oh, we've had that conversation. Don't touch the laundry at the Thomas household. She said she turns the inside-out shirts right side out, and they return to their owners in that condition. Yes, someone else. I saw a hand. Denise. That's a little bit scary, but she organizes her pantry with the labels always facing out. Not alphabetical order, though, right? Color-coded, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You puree the vegetables and you hide them in the food. I had a friend from Puerto Rico who grew up, I don't know why, but she didn't eat vegetables, and she would, if, if, if anything green, she couldn't eat it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was crazy when she came for dinner. I don't know how to do hide vegetables. So, somebody else, one more mom who does something that goes unnoticed. Rebecca. Never. There are certain things, right? You're like, I am not, this house will not run out of toilet paper. That's right. In our house, it's called queso, but in her house, it's toilet paper. Priorities. I know, I know. So I, I find as a mom, it's interesting how much of our time is spent on necessary details of life, but it's easy in that to lose our focus on what we're really doing as moms. And so I want to invite you to direct your attention to the screen as we look at a three-minute video of a lady named Nicole Johnson of Fresh Brood Ministries as she talks about this all-too-common shared phenomenon with moms. One night a group of us gathered and we were celebrating the return of a friend from England. Janice had just taken this fabulous trip and she was going on and on about the hotel she stayed in. And I was sitting there looking around at the other women at the table. I'd put my makeup on in the car on the way there. I had on an old dress because it was the only thing clean and I had my unwashed hair pulled up in a banana clip and I was feeling pretty darn pathetic. And then Janice turned to me and she said, I brought you this. <laughs> it was a book on the great cathedrals of Europe. I didn't understand. And then I read her inscription. She wrote, with admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. You can't name the names of the people who built the great cathedrals. Over and over again, looking at these mammoth works, you scan down to find the names and it says, Builder, unknown, unknown, unknown. They completed things not knowing that anyone would notice. There's a story about one of the builders who was carving a tiny bird inside a beam that would be covered over by a roof. And someone came up to him and said, why are you spending so much time on something no one will ever see? And it's reported that the builder replied, because God sees. They trusted that God saw everything. They gave their whole lives for a work, a mammoth work, they would never see finished. They showed up day after day. Some of these cathedrals took over a hundred years to build. 
that was more than one working man's lifetime, day after day. And they made personal sacrifices for no credit. Showing up at a job they would never see finished for a building their name would never be on. One writer even goes so far as to say no great cathedrals will ever be built again because so few people are willing to sacrifice to that degree. I closed the book and it was as if I heard God say, I see you. You are not invisible to me. No sacrifice is too small for me to notice. I see every cupcake baked, every sequin sewn on, and I smile over every one. I see every tear of disappointment when things don't go the way you want them to go. But remember, you are building a great cathedral. It will not be finished in your lifetime, and sadly, you will never get to live there. But if you build it well, I will. At times, my invisibility has felt like an affliction to me. But it is not a disease that is erasing my life. It is the cure for the disease of self-centeredness. It is the antidote to my own pride. It's okay that they don't see. It's okay that they don't know. I don't want my son to tell the friend he's bringing home from college, you're not going to believe what my mom does. She gets up at four in the morning and she bakes pies and hand bakes a turkey and she presses all the linens. Even if I do all those things, I don't want him to say that. I want him to want to come home. And secondly, I want him to say to his friend, you're going to love it there. It's okay that they don't see. We don't work for them. We work for him. We sacrifice for him. They will never see, not if we do it right, not if we do it well. Let's pray that our work will stand as a monument to an even greater God. Tonight, I don't know about you, but moms, I want to make sure that in the busyness of life that's necessary and critical to keep everyone alive and fed and clean and life moving, that I don't lose focus of what I'm really doing. What I'm really doing is stewarding the privilege of raising young people and investing in building people who are gonna take the gospel of Jesus Christ far beyond my limited years to people I'll never meet in years that I'll never live. And so tonight, what I want us to ask the question is, am I a cathedral builder? And I want us to unpack a few questions we can ask ourselves in what it means and what it looks like in a very practical way. I'm a practical girl. I come to you tonight cleaned up. This is cleaned up Vanessa because I live my life in the bowels of motherhood. I'm a full-time mom. I edu home educate my kids. I'm doing laundry. I'm planning meals. I'm managing a budget. I'm working to, you know, build healthy people that turn out good. <laughs> and so I want us to talk tonight about some of the things that are going to help keep us on track for the big picture of what we're doing and raising our kids. Does that sound good? So the first question that I believe a cathedral builder asks is who am I working for? Who am I working for? I believe 
a cathedral builder knows who it is they work for. Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, work hard and cheerfully. I want to stop there. Moms, work hard, and it doesn't go on there, right? Work hard, but with a bad attitude and a little bit grumbling, no? Or work cheerfully, but half-hearted. It says work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. Making peanut butter jelly sandwiches, right? Potty training, teaching a child how to brush their teeth, helping a child navigate a new life skill. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. One of the things that is so interesting in motherhood is you forget who it is you're doing it for. You might, you, you might look for it in your children, and that's going to be a disappointment, yes? You might look for it in extended family, but the approval that we need has to come from the Lord. It has to come from the one who wrote the master plan and we're building for. Ephesians 6, 6 says work hard, and again it, it says work hard, and then it says work with enthusiasm. I love how hard work is always attached to a heart attitude. That's the God we serve, yes? We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Work hard and work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do. Because just like Nicole talked about on the screen, God sees and records forever all of those things that go unnoticed. And it's easy, isn't it, as a mom to get a little bit disgruntled about all of the things that you do that go unnoticed. Hebrews 4.13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from him, from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, we use this scripture a lot when we think about sin, right? And it brings fear and trembling into our lives. God sees and knows everything. But the flip side of this truth is God sees everything. Everything that we do that man will never thank us, will never know, will never see, that God keeps a beautiful, detailed record. 1 Samuel 2.3 says, For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Five, Proverbs 5.21 for the Lord sees clearly what a mom does, examining every path she takes. He, she, God sees everything. Proverbs 15, for the Lord is watching everywhere. I'll never, I'll never forget in my transition to being a full-time stay-at-home mom. Previously to that, I had been working for Capital One for about five years as an executive recruiter, and I was in a highly uh, ambitious environment. I was in a highly metrics-driven environment. You know, when you're recruiting and you're interviewing and hiring people, you know, you know how many phone calls you've made, you know how many phone interviews you've done, how many people you've flown on site, how many people you've hired, and you have compensation based on that, and it's, it's, it's a very rewarding environment if you're wired like me. I loved it. And then I became a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> There's no metrics for teaching your child not to dribble the toothpaste on the sink, yes? There's no metrics for potty training. I mean, who wouldn't want to stay not potty trained, right? You have a warm diaper that's designed to wick away moisture and you never have to stop playing. Why would you give that gig up? I think, personally, potty training is the worst experience ever. I'm still scarred. There is no metrics. No one ha ever has ever come up to me and said, 
You potty trained three children. Good God, Scotty Marshall for seven. Hallelujah. No one ever said thank you. No one ever gave me a reward. I remember saying to Fred, I feel like there's no finish line with potty training. Yes? No one, no, no confetti came out of the sky or a tropical vacation. All your children can now wipe themselves. That's even beyond potty training, right? How many have a six-year-old who still calls you? It's terrible. Yes. So I found myself months into being a stay-at-home mom saying, there's no performance-based review. There's no metrics. And I began to realize as God just began to open up these scriptures, Vanessa, I see and I know, and I keep a good record. The Bible says God is no man's debtor. He's a great scorekeeper. And every scripture in God's word, almost every single one, the two I just read you, Colossians and Ephesians, it talks about working hard and working cheerfully, and it always talks about a reward. I think we have a God who knows how to give good gifts to his girls. Yes, to his children, to his moms. So what does this mean? A cathedral builder who, who, uh, uh, who understands who their boss is, who the master builder is. How does this filter down into my everyday life? The first thing is that it brings joy and purpose to all of the routine and the mundane. Because any good mom knows that good parenting is routine, and consistency, and repetition, yes, and it's over and over, saying and doing many of the same things. It's not all that, but it's a lot of that. It's the backbone, I believe, of a well-run home is that. And so when I know who my boss is, when I know who I get my marching orders from and who it is I'm looking for a pat on the back from, then it breathes divine purpose into anything that I'm asked to do as a mom, anything that I'm supposed to put my hand to. The other thing that it does is it provides me with a reference point for everything that I need to do. I can say, does this fit with the master plan? How does the master builder prioritize this for my family at this time, in this season that I find myself? So the first question, moms, who am I working for? I would ask you and encourage you tonight, who are you working for? Whose pleasure are you trying to get? We do not work for the family budget. We do not work for the family calendar. We do not work for the approval of our husbands because that will stress a marriage right out. We work for our Heavenly Father. Amen? The second question that a cathedral builder asks is, am I foundation-focused? Am I foundation-focused? I believe what this means is that I understand the importance of the unseen parts. All of the things that go in the mix that then harden and become the bedrock upon which the lives of our children are built. And this is a tough one. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. Paul is writing here to the church, and it's a great biblical truth. He's not talking about parenting, but it's, he says to the church, to the, to, to the Corinthian church, we work together as partners who belong to God. And then he goes on and he says, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. What Paul is saying here is, yes, we're partners with God, but guess what? There's real work to be done, and I've done it. He's talking to the church. So as a parent, we work as partners with God, but guess what? Somebody has to do the work of it, and I have been chosen to do the work of it. 1 Timothy 6.3 tells us what that foundation is. It says, these are the sound wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are the foundation for a godly life. A mom who is foundation-focused is a mom who is infusing and inserting God's word and his truths in every aspect of life. 
This only happens when we are ourselves infused with the truth of God's word. Matthew 7, 26 says, anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't do it, right, is building on sinking sand. We've all heard the parable, right, of the house that's built on a solid foundation and the one that crumbles because it's built on shifting sand. It is the power of God's word. Not a simple Sunday school story, but the truths of God's word that we have to continually be talking about. Deuteronomy 6 says, talk about it when you're coming, when you're going, when you're at rest and at work and at play and everything you do and everywhere you go, you're talking about God's truth. Sometimes we're memorizing it together. Sometimes we're reading it, but then we're talking and navigating life things with our kids and we're using the principles of God's word to do it. What does this mean in a practical way, being foundation-focused? Moms, it means taking the time and energy to always look at the heart motivation of our children. It's always more messy, it's always inconvenient, and it takes a lot more time. I see parents all the time who are dealing with the content of the conversation and they're not willing to do the work of talking about the heart attitude of the child. We've all seen it, yes? The tone of voice, the body language, the eye contact, the, the, just the heart motivation of that child. It's hard work, moms, when we're in a rush and we're doing life to be committed above all things that my first and foremost job is to lay a strong foundation in my kids. And that means pressing pause on content and talking about the heart attitude of my children. The obedience that I require of my children today lays the groundwork for the obedience to God in their tomorrow. I believe that with everything in me. The heart attitude of how my children do their chores today lays the groundwork for a lifelong work ethic in what God's asked them to do in their tomorrows. You hear me? The ability to say something nice about their brother or sister <laughs> Today lays the groundwork for them being able to be a life speaker where they work in their tomorrows. You hear me? What does this mean? I've got two middle schoolers and one almost there. I'm in the thick of it. I'm constantly, moms, pausing content. I know we're talking about our plans for the weekend, but we're going to come back to that. We're going to figure that out. Now let's talk about why you feel this way, why you're speaking in that tone. Let's talk about your motivation for asking that question. Let's talk, right? It's sloppy, it's messy, it's emotional, it's hard work. M people that take the time, parents that take the time to do this, begin to have endless opportunities to insert God's word into their children's hearts. And just like the foundation of this building, if someone were to ask you to get a handful of sand and pull it out of this foundation, that would be impossible, right? It is mixed in and it's so part of the foundation it becomes the foundation and that's what we have the privilege of doing as moms when we insert God's word into the mix it's going to forever be there that's what I believe that scripture says that you train up a child in the way they'll go it doesn't mean they'll never walk away from it but it will always haunt them all the days of their life and they will return to it that's what that scripture means I pray that over my kids I pray they never walk away but if they do and I know there's moms here who are on that journey begin to Pray into the word of God that is in their foundation, and if it's not, start to insert it in every conversation. You don't have to quote scripture. You don't have to be obnoxious. It can be an organic outflow of the truth of God that's in your life. So what does that mean? How do I do that? How do I start today? 
There's no shortcuts. We gotta open our Bibles. And we are without excuse. Yes, I don't have my smartphone on me. I'm lost without it, but it's right there. We carry God's word with us everywhere we go, and if we don't, you can get free apps. You can have the Bible with us everywhere. Resources, Googling questions and scriptures that pertain to certain topics. We are equipped and without excuse. What a privilege it is. So what does that look like? For those of you who are in the thick of raising your kids, I'll just give you some starting points, give you some ideas. Putting on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6. Kids have so much fun with this. When my kids were little, we went and bought foil and we made armor out of it, right? The helmet of salvation and my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. You're taking intangible things and you're making them tangible. The breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit. Give them a thing of foil and make a sword, yeah? And you put on, put on and begin to help them understand, what does that mean? So mom, if you don't know, begin to study. What does that mean? Let me read you Ephesians 6. It says, God is strong and he wants you strong. This is the, or the Message Bible. So take everything that the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. I love this. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple hours. How many moms say yes to that? This is no easy job. This is for keeps. There's no do-overs. This is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. But don't be alarmed. This is be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over, but the shouting, I love that. I think of a big stadium, yes, and the gladiator in the middle, right? And I'm fighting the enemy for the hearts of my children. When it's all over and there's only shouting, who's shouting? Heaven is cheering us on, right? All but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. And then it lists the, your weapons, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You will need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. We have to take God's word and begin to unpack it and put it into the hearts of our children. If you have young people, try the fruit of the spirit. Another great one in Galatians 5. If you're courageous as a mom, ask your children if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is active in your life. Do they see the fruit hanging out of your life? Love, joy, peace, patience. Can I say that? Patience, love and joy. Love and joy are easier for me. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness. And then I always delete, then I have self-control, yes. Have your, have your middle schoolers, have your fifth grader evaluate the tone of your home, the tone of your life, mom, the tone of your words. Give yourself a grade, they understand that. Grade them, start a conversation. Galatians 5.22 says that these are the fruit when the Holy Spirit controls us. Begin to make God's word an active part of your ongoing conversation. I love family devotions, but they're a little bit Norman Rockwell for our life. I'm just saying, they really are. We have not mastered, you think we're pastors, we've not mastered the family devotion, but I'm not worried about it because we talk about God's word all the time. My kids have a devotional life on their own. We talk about God's word all the time. 
Don't be a parent that does a 10-minute devotion and walks away and thinks you've done it all, right? It's good, but it's better to have God's word as part and parcel of everything that you do, speak, say. Our children, you start talking about a two-year-old, talk to them about what righteousness is so that when they start reading God's word for themselves at six and seven years old, it's not a new vocabulary word for them. They understand. Their mom and dad have been talking. They've used righteousness in the school already, on the playground. They know what righteousness is, right? Equip our kids. And another thing, foundation-focused cathedral building, we need to teach God's word with authority. Can I just say, I have a little, I just, it is a little bit of a bully pulpit, but I hear so many parents like squeamish about whether their kids are going to survive the teen years or into young adulthood. You know what? God's word is alive and it's active and it's powerful. And if you suggest the scriptures as if it's just maybe something good for them to do, that's not how we're supposed to teach God's word. My, I'm privileged to have grown up in a home that did this. I didn't know it was an option not to because God's word is what my, our life is built on. Does that make sense? It wasn't a suggestion. It's not, are we going to live up to this standard of God's word? No, God's word is what we live for. It's who we are. It defines our path. It drives our decisions. Amen? Teach God's word with authority. And mom, in all honesty, if you're not convinced, get on your knees and let God convince you. He is not afraid of the task. He is not afraid of convincing your heart that he is able. Amen? And the idea that the world is a worse place or sin is more ugly now. And for some reason, our children have less of a chance of living victorious, God-pleasing lives is a lie from the pit of hell. You open your Bible, and you read about Lot, and you read about Noah. God is not upset right now about what's happening in American culture. Can I just say that? Jesus is powerful and victorious and alive, and when we equip our children, it doesn't matter what day and age they live in, they are going to be light in darkness. They are going to be salt, and that salt hasn't lost its savor. Amen? It is powerful. So we, I think one of the things that kind of tears us down is just this talk of the world is becoming a worse place, and if only it, it was what it was 40 years ago, that's a bunch of garbage. The world's always been broken. Sin's always been ugly. Human nature's always been perverted and wicked. It's okay. God is on the throne, and God's word is alive and active, and we teach it with authority. All right, the third question that we want to consider as we give thought to what it means to be a cathedral builder, is am I building for generations to come? Am I building for generations to come? A cathedral builder understands the general, excuse me, generational impact of her choices. You know, we can't read God's word without realizing of all of the things that were left out of the canon of scripture you find many genealogies in both the Old and the New Testament. Now, that, those were left there for the actual data they provided, the names and the families. But I believe what we can also learn from that is that generations touch, and that matters to God. Generations impact the generation that follows. So as a cathedral builder, as a mom, I need to be aware of what am I doing, the choices I'm making, impacting the next generation. In reading the Bible through in a year, um, I'm re I was, it, this caught me as I was developing my notes. Judges 2.10 
It says, after that generation died, so this is the children of Israel, Old Testament. After that generation died, sad scripture here. It says, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. Now, at first glance, I read that scripture and thought, you feel bad for that generation that doesn't know the Lord. But the saddest part about that scripture is that the generation that raised that second generation, they did know the Lord. They had the power of God at work in their lives, and they didn't pass it on. And the children that followed them, it says, did not remember and were unable to acknowledge who he was. That is a sad, sad scripture, and it can happen. As I've been pathetically aging, I had to stand up for being 40, because that just, that just happened. But as I have <laughs> been on my journey of mothering, I'm becoming more aware the older I get. I've been a little reflective knowing that I'm turning 40 and our oldest, Derek, is going to be in high school and my baby Claire just turned 10 and just we're in a different season and, and time is going on and I can't get it back, you know, and just the reflection of that and the reality of that. So I'm becoming more aware of my responsibility to share what God has done in my life and in my family's life the story of my life, and each one of us has a story. My story is my story. My story is one of my parents who met in college and neither came from any kind of spiritual heritage. And, and, and some 19-year-old kid started telling my dad, who was in charge of the keg parties in his freshman dorm at Brockport State University, started telling my dad about this guy Jesus, this, this character Jesus. So my dad was at a bar a few nights later and saw a cute girl in a tight green sweater. That's the story that ended up being my mom. And he went over to her and was trying to get a date. And they ended up going to church. And they ended up getting radically saved in the Jesus movement of the 1970s. And before long, they went from being, you know, hippies and godless homes that were full of alcoholism and brokenness and, 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 and bad things. And they began to experience what it means to live a life. They, they're funny, they, they act like they lived in, you know, the 1500s when they talk about it, but they're like, we didn't have the World Wide Web. My parents aren't that old, you know. <laughs> we didn't have Christian parenting books. We had to read Psalms and Proverbs, you know. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about, foundation focus. But this idea, of they, they didn't know what they were doing, and they didn't have a lot of resources, and they just began to figure it out. You know, I came along like nine months and two weeks later, right? They were hippies, like I said. Hello. And so... But God began to, before long, my dad was like driving a bus, picking up old, you know, elderly people for church. And before long, they asked him to pastor the church. He didn't have any training. He didn't have any context. He had no schooling. So I grew up in a home where my parents began to choose. And I say all of that because their choices, did I have to make my own? Yes, but their choices affected the world I grew up in. And there is an outflow of grace that I've been able to walk in because of their choices. Did I have to choose? Yes. Did I have my own challenges? Yes. But their choices impacted me. And there's choices I didn't have to make because they did. That's now that's not to glamorize. I'm a second generation follower of Christ. If you're a first generation follower of Christ, there's a unique grace and responsibility for that. There's a unique excitement. We, each one of us, are perfectly placed where we're supposed to be. Whether you find yourself a first-generation follower of Christ or a third-generation or a 13th-generation follower of Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have a responsibility to tell the story of what God's done. 
My dad got to go home and lead his parents to Christ, and my grandmother was a sick, sick alcoholic. And he, she was set free on the spot, baptized in the Holy Spirit, set free from alcoholism. My grandfather went on to have a journey with cancer twice, miraculously healed, ribs restored, amazing. He went on to start, he, he said, good Jesus heals. Imagine that, what do I do with that? He started going to the hospital, and he started praying for people because God healed him. People started getting healed in this small town of upstate New York. And, and there, there's a legacy because of the choices that my parents made. Each one of us as moms are building a legacy of choices, creating a context and an environment that are going to impact our children. I want to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to worship in a minute, return to a moment of worship and response. But as I was praying through my notes, um, God reminded me, just thinking about this generational connection, and he reminded me of spring track, scary, because I was a long-distance girl, right? And so they were clearly desperate. And so the coach, the spring track, yeah, you can laugh. It was just laughable. And they, they said, Vanessa, we need a fourth man. Can you do it? So you're buried. Who knows what number are you if you're the slowest on the team? Number three, you know? They're just hoping, good God, they don't fall, right? And they just hold the lead. So... I'll never forget going to track practice and having no idea about the relay race and the handing off of batons and having to practice with the team. And I remember intuitively you want to wait, right, with your hand outstretched because the baton is coming. And you want to wait and good coaches know that you don't stand still, right? That the, the runner that's waiting for the baton begins to get speed. And I remember that was so counterintuitive. And you have to practice handing off the baton at almost a full speed. And what happens is the runner behind you, they give it everything they've got, that last push. And for a split second, the runners are next to each other, and the baton is passed, and the next one runs where the other one will now come to a slower pace. And I just was reminded of that and thinking about raising my kids and wanting to cheer them on as they're beginning to choose God, as they're beginning to practice the things that we're teaching them. They're making God their own. And my job isn't to hold them back. No, it's to, I'm running, right? I'm running. I'm third man. I'm running. But I'm cheering them on. Go, go. And I remember being in races. Run. Coach, start now. As soon as they cross that line, you start. And, and it's, sometimes the baton can get passed. But because we practiced, I knew what the baton felt like. And I knew what it, I knew what I was waiting for, right? And I knew. And, and, and then by, then they hand it to you and you're off to your leg of the race. And that's what, I believe, what it's like to be a cathedral builder. That each one of us is called to be, carry a baton and to do our part of the race and do it well and do it with everything we have in us, yes? And then we have that moment where we pass it on and our children run into years that we'll never see, people will never see, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is such an awesome privilege. And I wanna say to the moms tonight, each one here, no matter if you've known Jesus lots of years or you're brand new in your walk with Christ, you as a mom were created to do this. This isn't something we have to strive for. You were hand-selected to be the mother of your children hand-selected by the God of the universe who knows everything, no matter what you find you're facing with your children. When you look in their face, if you realize we are very different and we might never be on the same page, that's all right. God hand-selected you 
to mother that child. That child needs you. You are not, you are, you are not called to do or be something that God has not already created you for. So as we return to a moment of, of reflection, a moment of worship, I want to end in a victorious, celebratory way because we were made to be cathedral builders. Amen? Go ahead and rise to your feet. Moms, God loves our kids more than me, more than us. Every time I think that, I'm blown away by that truth. God loves my kids more than me.